Yo, brother. How you doing? A bit jaded, but apart from that, I'm all right. How are you? No, we don't. We don't. Uh, at expensive lessons, we don't gloss over statements like that. Why are you jaded, bro? So many things. Um, some which I cannot even share. But I think one that I will share is it harks back to our episode on Black Lives Matter, and I made a rather controversial statement, which was classism is a far greater issue than racism in the world as a whole. In every culture or race, classism exists. Um, many people would have heard of the exams fiasco, which has happened recently. Um, if you're listening, we're in the UK and due to lockdown, um, teachers in secondary schools, high schools, um, sixth forms, predicted the grades of their pupils and an, an algorithm was used by Ofqual, a government body, to quality assure these predictions. And what it found was that over 40% of these predictions were altered and they actually changed in favour of postcode regions mm. meaning if you lived in a more affluent area your results were more likely not to be altered or to be increased conversely if you lived in a working class area your results were significantly reduced um, now so speaking to parents of six formers who are meant to be going to the likes of warwick and edinburgh xyz and hearing their their testimonies as to what happened to them initially prior to the reversal of this decision it was heartbreaking it was absolutely disgusting what the government did and it clearly showed that there was a lack of trust for the public education system the teachers who actually taught the pupils and there was an underhand initiative agenda to ensure that certain pupils still outperformed others. And I think it, it was one of those instances which just reminded us all that classism is the biggest bully in the playground. Now, didn't, the, dated, bro. didn't the government pull back or step back from their initial standpoint and say, we are now not going to be using this algorithm to predict grades? Did, did I understand that right? Or is that that not the case so it was reversed yeah so the first results which came out were the results for a-level students going on to university mm. now they received their results produced by this algorithm um in england that is this was disputed in scotland and they won and five days later it was altered it was reversed now that might seem nothing well you've got your original results that you were predicted to get However, for many of those pupils, they've lost out on the university place. Mm. Um, and the universities haven't backed down because that place was lost. It was filled by someone else by clearing. Um, Timmy, living in the council estate, who comes from a working class environment, mum works several jobs, has aspirations of going on to medicine, got his conditional offer, got the predicted grades, and that was altered by an algorithm lost his place and that place was picked up by someone else and now he's deciding what he's going to do next year it's concerning but the gcse students they were fortunate enough that their results come out a week later meaning the fiasco had 
been dealt with prior to that. But it is concerning and it's, it's a reminder to me as to why I like to find my corner in the world and just hide. Well, uh, concerning, I think, is a bit of an understatement. You've highlighted something which I think is grossly negligent. Uh, I'd argue that the people who were able to switch this algorithm on to dictate the futures of hundreds of thousands of people probably would have been a little bit more cautious if their children's future was on the line. And it's incredibly disappointing. It also highlights the importance that we have to actually make sure that our voices are heard because the government did step back. One of the things I heard about, which I found particularly interesting, is the reason why this algorithm was implemented in the first place was because they didn't want grade inflation. They didn't want a mass number of people getting A stars and A's because it was predicted. However, upon them withdrawing from the use of this algorithm, the government has said, well, you can use the outcome of the algorithm. You can use your predicted grades, whatever is highest. So in them initially saying we don't want grade inflation, they've inadvertently actually led to significant grade inflation. So once again, it's negligence. It reminds you of the fact that the people in positions of power in government don't necessarily know what they're doing. Uh, yes, we have a civil service, but I can tell you firsthand as somebody who previously worked within uh, parliamentary circles that MPs stepping into various uh, cabinet positions don't know what they're doing. And it's so important that we as you know, modern citizens are educated on what's going on and actually make sure that our voices are heard. Um, I don't want to be preachy here, but yeah, this is something as a as a mentor uh, to, to many young kids has really got, got me quite upset. Uh, and for you as a teacher, I can't imagine what you're going through. So I appreciate that. Yes, jaded makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we've just touched the surface with this matter. There's negligence on all parts, unfortunately. Mm. As you mentioned, the results have skyrocketed largely because the government didn't trust teachers to be honest um, i can only speak about what i've done but with the results skyrocketing skyrocketing as they have it's very clear that the government were actually right so the government who i was slating for the algorithm which was classist would have prevented what is now a lack of integrity within the teaching profession because you're seeing certain boroughs certain schools completely doubling in their top grades which shouldn't have been possible but as it was not externally examined no one can prove it yeah this is one of those moments in life where you just want to pull the cartridge out of the nintendo blow it put it back in hopefully you can just press reset um it was fumbled they fumbled the ball um, there are so many people that should be held responsible for how poorly this uh, period was handled for young people doing their exams on trying to get into university. I think we're definitely going to have a look back at this period and we're going to have to ask a lot of questions. How did we get to this point? Surely there was a better way of doing it. Definitely. But that's my 
my sorrow. Um, how are you? I cannot complain. I had a very interesting situation occur to me following our previous discussion around com- com- uh, consumerism and the loss of your beloved MacBook Pro. Uh, I also had a bereavement and it was of my beloved MacBook Pro. But where um, your laptop died because it was fateful and had a good run and you could argue died of old age, my laptop died of ill treatment. Uh, She drank way too much coffee and uh, the amount of coffee that a laptop should be drinking is zero. The amount um, of coffee that my laptop drank was a full mug. And uh, she went to sleep and didn't wake up. Now, for people who don't know you personally, there are are so many areas in this which are issues. One, you're not a regular drinker of coffee, which says a lot about your lifestyle currently. Two, you are someone who's fairly pristine in the way you keep your items. So for that sort of occurred, um, you've definitely been burning the candle on both ends. So uh, That's a fair point. This has been one of the hardest weeks of the year. And that's saying a lot because I've had a lot of hard weeks this year. And uh, some of the reasons why it's been a difficult week are personal. But one of the main reasons it's been a hard week is that my boss uh, has been on annual leave. And I've taken his job for the week. But I haven't just taken his job. I've taken his job and held on to my my role. So doing that for a week, so managing two jobs for a week um, while currently planning for a wedding and renovating a house uh, and uh, taking quite a few uh, leadership responsibilities at my church have been, yeah, particularly taxing for me. Uh, it's, it's definitely taken its toll. But I do have to say that a lot of these uh, instances I put on myself and that's not an abuse victim trying to blame themselves. Uh, but yeah, on, honestly, that I, I can honestly say that some of these are really good growth opportunities for me. Things that I'm really looking forward to, like renovating my house and, and getting married. And other things which come as part of me being an adult, like taking on the responsibility of my boss when he's on annual leave. It's interesting because this isn't the first time that's occurred again, for people that don't know you, of you having to do the role of your superior. Um, The issue is, in the previous instances, they've got so used to that, that they've just said, shh, if we keep quiet, you won't know that he's still doing it. (laughs) Uh, Which is a good segue to the topic that we actually wish to discuss today, because I firmly believe that leaders lead. And to effectively lead, you need to understand who your glusters are using like a literature term who your knights are who your stakeholders who do you lean on who do you influence who influences you um this is another episode of expensive lessons people uh, the podcast where we actually do talk about business where company directors sometimes share the fruits <laughs> sometimes where company directors share the fruits of their labors uh their previous failures so that you someone who's extremely experienced in your field or just starting out are able to learn from the mistakes that we made. And today we're going to speak about stakeholders, an area which I neglected for most of my entrepreneurial life. 
I didn't understand the true importance of it. And I remember very vividly having a meeting where I had to really just download everything I knew about my operation to a consultancy company. And it put me to sleep. It put me to sleep because I had a massive headache because I realized how much I was carrying within my brain, which really needed to be in a system. Mm. And on that specific day, we were focusing on the stakeholders within the business. Stakeholder management. Abby, as a keen proponent of it, why is it so important? What is it actually first? Sorry. What is it? What is stakeholder management? So before I can answer that question, I've got to answer another question, which is what is a stakeholder? Now, a stakeholder in the simplest way possible is anybody who can affect or can be affected by the outcome of your business. So this is anyone, whether it's an individual, an entity, an organization, uh, another company, anybody at all who can be affected or can affect your business. So hopefully by me telling you what a stakeholder is, it should be quite straightforward why stakeholder management is important. People have but the it's... power, have the ability to affect your business for good and for bad. So it's so important that we engage with them in order to steer their engagement in a way that actually has a positive impact on, on your business. And if anybody actually has any negative um, viewpoints or any negative aspirations towards your business, by managing them as well, you can minimize their impact. And sorry I interrupted you, you were going to say something. I was, and I'm glad that you continued, because everything you said is right. With that definition, it should be something critical. It should be something that any company director has on their action list on a mm. weekly basis. But it's not. No. Why do you think it's completely ignored? And I ask that genuinely as someone who ignored it for such a long time. Well, it's, it's ignored for a number of reasons. I think the first reason why it is ignored is because you as an entrepreneur are, are a busy person. You're a very busy individual. And your main focus, once you've actually got a post-revenue business, a business, is, a business that is putting money in your pocket, your main focus is trying to ensure that that money doesn't dry up. And the way that you do that is by doing what you've done so far, which is engage with your suppliers uh, to an extent, engage with your customers and manage your sales operations to the best that you can. So when another potential stakeholder, which falls out of your direct sales operations, is identified and doesn't necessarily have an urgent or highly significant role within your business it's very easy to say that they are low priority so i think in this um podcast we've talked before about having that uh urgent important quad and most of the things that we do as entrepreneurs tend to fall into that high urgency high importance uh corner 
So stakeholder management could almost definitely fall into a high importance but low urgency uh, section. And therefore, it's so easy for us to, to leave that for tomorrow. But as entrepreneurs or as, as people in general with busy workloads, we know that tomorrow doesn't often come and that we have to be intentional about making sure that we do the things that aren't necessarily that urgent but are highly significant to our business. I think that's pivotal to our success mm. because it wasn't until I read at Covey Seven Habits when I came across that quadrant that I realized I'm firefighting. I'm constantly firefighting and I'm not actually doing the most important things for me to do. Yep. And most so, of us are. Most of us are firefighting. And I, I think part of it is because we live in an age where we must be busy. We must be doing something, even if it is the most basic, unnecessary task we feel like if we're not doing stuff, we are not being productive. Whereas sometimes, and a good example of stakeholder management is, for example, taking a potential stakeholder out to coffee to sit down and just find out about their day. That doesn't feel like productivity. That doesn't feel like work. But depending on what your industry is, depending what you do to make your money, that meeting just to talk to your stakeholder about what they've been up to could be absolutely critical. Agreed. Now, for those people who are still questioning whether, mm, you know what, I think I'm going to check out that episode with so-and-so instead. I just want us to share a few instances where stakeholder management has been just pivotal to our success. And then we're going to share many instances as to what you can do to ensure that you're effectively managing your stakeholders. Yeah. Okay. For me, now this is going back a few years. This is where operations were coming out of my bedroom and I was a one-man band. I needed help. I just needed help from anyone. And I, as a e-commerce platform user, was distributing products which needed to be dispatched. And I'm based in the UK, so the Royal Mail is a member of the family. They're just always there. So I was clearly going to use the Royal Mail. Um, when We're not based in America, so FedEx isn't king. It is Royal Mail. I was very fortunate that whilst processing orders in the evening and early in the morning between 2 and 4 a.m., I was able to actually go to a post office at 6 a.m. Yes, they do open at that time, people. You're just not speaking to the right people. And if it wasn't for Raj, won't say his surname, who was willing as a postmaster to open up his post office at that time to accept my parcels because of the relationship I developed with him and his wife and his daughter, who's going to university this year, they would not have done that. Why was this a win for me? Well, if I hadn't been able to dispatch my parcels then, they would not have been received by the post office until possibly 6 p.m. that day, meaning customer service pillar next day delivery would not have been achieved. And that's just one example of how I've identified a key stakeholder to my business. My postmaster is pivotal to our success. I have to have a great relationship with him. I remember supporting his daughter with her work, giving advice in terms of what she can do in terms of her schooling. 
that relationship evolved over time to the point where he actually begun to come to us when we moved into an office to collect our parcels. Again, you might think, well, I'm sure the post office do that normally. No. Yes, they do. <laughs> they, they do. That's a specific service that you pay for separately. He was willing to do that. Raj was sending his dad, I'm sure you're getting the image right now, <laughs> in their Volvo to our office to collect the parcels. Stakeholder management. We're all trying to influence the influential here. That's one key example of how I was able to sleep easier knowing that one of my stakeholders who had high power was working for me. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll provide another illustration from a slightly different standpoint, the services industry. So I work as a consultant. I give people useful helpful insights as to how they can grow their businesses from a strategic or marketing standpoint. And I work one-on-one -on -one with businesses uh, on, on quite a regular basis. Now, on some level, my job is about identifying people who need my services and providing them a value proposition that they think would be quite beneficial to them. But another part of my job is literally just contacting people and contacting businesses, uh, business owners, and understanding what their current problems are and understanding what their ecosystem looks like. The amount of opportunities that have been identified for me, not because I picked up the phone and spoke to somebody, but because I spoke to somebody who told me about someone else that needed help. Um, I found many mm. opportunities because just having a general conversation and understanding uh, you know, what, what challenges or what experiences they're currently uh, going through, they might just mention to me, oh, you know, I'm currently working with this business and they could definitely use your support. Or um, I did a, a task which involved this company and they would really benefit if you were, you know, on board helping them out with some, some of their challenges. So simply just by keeping that com communication open allows you to identify potentially new customers, new value propositions, um, new routes to market that you might not have even considered for yourself prior. So once again, stakeholder management is a useful tool, not only to help you with your operations, but also to help you grow. We learned the powerful question, who do you know that I should know? But listening to you, I've learned, who do you know that I could help? Mm. I think posing that question to the right people could open so many doors and so many opportunities. And I think it's, it's one which I'm going to definitely take into the next quarter. Definitely. Now, so, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm really keen on knowing the drivers because there are, there are clear stakeholders within every industry. There are clear stakeholders which could be mapped. Before understanding the drivers, how could we map out these stakeholders to ensure that we are actually identifying the right people and not just the right organizations? I.e., my person was Raj. It wasn't the post office, Royal Mail. So the first thing you need to do, oh, there's a lot of stuff actually, but the first thing you need to do is map out your operations. So what is it that your company does? 
and I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, but be very granular with this information. Don't say my company sells uh, eyelashes or my company sells uh, greeting cards. Be very specific. My company does what? We communicate with our um, customers via email. We post on social media. We um, engage with this supplier. We engage with that supplier. We wrap parcels. We post to um, through, through Royal Mail, for instance. Once you have a very clear idea of all of the business activities that make up your business, then you can start understanding, well, which third parties are actually required to make that work? So if, for example, one of your business activities, quote unquote, is wrapping parcels or packaging your products and services, well, who provides you with your boxes? Who provides you with your uh, mailbags? You know, who is your local postmaster, for example? And these are the key stakeholders that um, are your initial circle. Now, once you've identified those initial stakeholders, then you can start prioritizing them. And you can prioritize them using a very simple map. So on your um, y-axis, you'll have power or influence. And on your x-axis, you'll have in, uh, interest. And simply you can start asking a question, how would I score this stakeholder on their level of power over my business? And what we mean by power or influence is their ability to impact the direction of your business. Mm -hmm. Somebody, if you're a makeup brand, somebody like Rihanna has got a lot of power because one post could change the trajectory of your business overnight. But then the next question that you want to ask yourself with these stakeholders, how much interest do they have? Some stakeholders are going to have more interest than others. If you are the biggest purchaser of a particular supplier's stock, then they are going to be heavily interested in your performance. Because if you stop trading, then they lose their biggest customer. However, if you are not a big player, if you're not necessarily on your supplier's radar on what on one of your stakeholders radar however they can Im impact your business in some way shape or form then they would potentially not have very much interest uh, a good example of that would be a potential customer somebody who hasn't bought from you yet now they have low power but they've also got low interest because they are not invested in your performance as a business yet as soon as they've bought from you they're very interested in your business so it's important to understand where your stakeholders fall within the ecosystem of your stakeholders but then there's another question that we need to ask which is what do i want to achieve not not what am i doing now but what do i want to do and this is the hardest question to ask because it's so vague but in order for you to really grow your business you need to understand what does the future hold for my business and who in my circle can help me achieve that future but also who don't I know which I can which is kind of a negative but who don't I know that I should know that can help me achieve that goal it's very easy when you know the stakeholders around you helping you achieve what you're currently doing a lot more difficult when you've got an aspirational target and you need to find people to fill that stakeholder gap once I've found those people, how do I influence them? How do I get them to buy into me? 
Well, the first thing you want to do is be very clear. You don't want to provide a vague overview of what you're trying to achieve. You want to be very clear in your head what you're trying to achieve. And then you want to communicate that very clearly to a potential stakeholder around what you're trying to achieve. One of the things that we've said in previous podcasts, we really are doing a, um, you know, in previous episodes, what's that guy in The Simpsons that used to do that all the time? You rem- you may remember me from such episodes as, um, <laughs> but we mentioned it in, in previous episodes that you need to share your vision for the future with every potential stakeholder. And that vision for the future should be clear. I've got a controversial statement. I've got an argument here that if you can't share your vision for the future in 30 seconds, it's a poorly constructed vision for the future and one that isn't going to be captivating or compelling. You need to be clear and you need to be concise in your speech. That way a stakeholder understands what you're trying to do, how you're trying to achieve it and how they could potentially play a part in that. But then there's another question and I want to bring you in here because I feel like this is something that you are very good at. Um, but you need to understand that stakeholders specific need. So stakeholders come in all different shapes and sizes and have various reasons why they might want to engage with you in your business. They don't all look the same. So you need to spend some time to identify that stakeholders need so you can speak their language. But I want to, I want to get your thoughts on that in terms of identifying a stakeholders need. Listen, we, we, we live in a world where everyone is so quick to speak and so few people listen. And when you do listen and actually repeat what's been said, some people are surprised because they didn't realize that they actually said that. Mm. If, if, if you actively listen to what is being said and potentially also what is not being said, you can quickly identify someone's drivers, someone's experiences, someone's historical pains and know how to present your vision, that clear and concise vision to fit their their drivers. What drives them? Is it monetary gain? Is this someone who is driven by the pound, euro or the dollar? They've heard your vision, great. What's the ROI? (laughs) What's my cut? (laughs) Simple. if you know that that's what they are saying to you, how will you know? Well, they're constantly speaking about their loss, their their gain from previous ventures. Oh, this was a waste of my time. I invested X amount and lost this. Well, you know it's purely about monetary gain and thus present that to them. But not everyone is focused on monetary gain. There are some people who actually, monetary gain isn't the biggest factor for them. And it might merely be affiliation. It might be that they actually wish to be close to people, to develop meaningful relationships as opposed to just being around the next hot thing. Some people might ask why. The the question isn't why. The question is how can you serve these people? They're saying to you that, well, they didn't enjoy the experience because it wasn't long lasting. It Mm. didn't feel like a journey. There aren't relationships that they have now because of it. And you want to go there with your quick pitch and secure a deal, get to know the person. 
fortunately, I was able to get to know Raj a little bit. His factor was monetary gain, but the affiliation which we developed in terms of helping him out with something he, he cared about meant that we could proceed. Achievement. Well, some people couldn't really care less about affiliation, but they just want to ensure that they're part of SpaceX. Um, they are part of the next Uber. They are part of the next Apple, the next Amazon. We mentioned these companies, but these companies are almost all younger than me, which is quite daunting, to be honest. <laughs> that, <laughs> But some of the most powerful companies in the world are no longer Coca-Cola and McDonald's. Um, companies which seem to have been established forever. There are people out there who are looking to invest into the next Amazon. Can you pitch your vision to the point where it seems like it's truly going to revolutionize your industry? That's going to change the life chances and experiences of the consumer. Mm. If you can do that, people want to fall in love with something and they'll put their time and their money behind it. Lastly, for me, I think it's, it's power. Um, there are some who, it's not money, it's not affiliation, it's not achievement, but it's pure power. It's market space. Yeah. It, they will actually lose money to gain more power. They will buy someone out of the game. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a financially viable move, but it means that their market share has increased. And potentially in the next, I don't know, five decades, century, then they'll recoup what they've got. It's to flex their muscles. Well, if that's the case, that they want to exercise control or influence, they have a political agenda or persuasion, well, present your vision to show them how that will increase their ability to influence others. That mm. will increase their public image. Trump being president, for me, wasn't a monetary gain move. Oh, he lost a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> he's losing i think honestly side note i think trump is looking at this white house like when do i get out and move back to my nice place my tower my tower the this right place, name this place is old it's falling apart i'm i'm ready to leave this is gross but for some people it's power because it's not the money and thus you have people who have dynasties and it links heavily to politics, but you have people who their father was a leader, their grandfather was a leader. Then they're not there because they're really trying to gain more money or achieve something that their father didn't. Well, their grandfather led during a war. They're not going to lead through the war, God willing. It's just to gain power, to keep that power. Likewise, you have those in major corporations who might wish to actually create a merger so that they can outmuscle other people. I think once you've identified their driver, then you know how to approach them. Is this Machiavellian? I don't think so. I think it's how to win friends and influence people. Absolutely. If, if you've got the note, it's a great book. Everyone has a, a motivational driver. Everyone's got something which ticks their boxes. Once you know what that is, you'll be able to improve your communication with them. And that, I, I, for me, is how to identify needs. I, I completely agree. And I think, just to add to that, I, one of the reasons why I believe that we seem to be in a world with so much dispute at the moment where people cannot agree and we've just got conflict uh, in terms of our ideas, I think it's a fundamental question of whether we are speaking the same language. 
I am seeing people's lang- language adapt, change, and diverge to a point that you can be using the same word, but have a completely different meaning for what that word is. So yes. how could you potentially get to a point where you can come to a consensus if you can't even agree on the fundamentals of the the language, the syntax that you are adopting? Um, ab- absolutely. Um, so with that, I would encourage people to ensure that they are speaking the right language to the right stakeholder. You know, there's no mm. point in talking to somebody who is concerned with financial reward about the positive impact that they can have on young people tomorrow. They will say, that's great, but how does this affect my pocket? Yes. Um, similarly, you will find yourself in, an, in a space where you're telling people, well, you know, this is a great opportunity for you because it's great exposure. You're going to get loads of exposure as a result of working with me. I think that's one of the old kind of tired um, stakeholder engagement tactics that people use in the digital age. Or, you know, working with me, you're going to get great exposure. Well, I'm really just concerned with having as much influence and power as possible. Um, I, could care, I couldn't care less about how much exposure I get. I could do that myself. So it really is about understanding the language that your stakeholders speak in order to ensure that they are actually, you know, compelled that what you're saying resonates with them. Um, but one other aspect of speaking the same language of your stakeholder is actually a non-verbal aspect. Anyone who is a stakeholder of yours is going to see, is going to want to see how you operate, how you work what kind of person you are. So mm. Afalabi, I really want to get your view on what kind of nonverbal cues you can present to stakeholders by the way that you operate and the way that you carry yourself. Punctuality. I'm just going to start with that straight away. <laughs> <laughs> Were you on time? The number of people who are late and don't realize that that's mentally being recorded Yes, you're no longer in school where you're having to tick off a register where a a lovely teacher is actually calling out your name. But mentally, people are taking note. Were you punctual? Were you on time? Because if you're not, well, it suggests something to me about your time management. Now, if you can't manage your time, how are you going to manage my money? (laughs) Talk about attendance. Did you show up? Okay, you want to take me into a new war. What about the previous one? Were you there? What, what's your historical record? Punctuality and attendance, these are soft skills which were drilled in during our formative stages, during our schooling, and teacher stressed, well, you're going to need this in the future. It's going to make you stand. She was right. She was right. You're not going to be told that oh sorry it's because you were late that i didn't really feel convinced but these are these non-verbal cues that people will almost subconsciously store when making a decision unfortunately some of them are linked to appearance also Uh, unfortunately some due to, to race and accent but we won't go there but are you dressed in formally for the environment that you're in I should almost remove formally, but are you dressed for the environment that you're in? Are you 
ready to be productive in that environment. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean a bow tie or a tie, but are, are you dressed suitably? And I, and I say this to my brothers and my sisters who are trying to bring Instagram into their workplace. Now, Instagram is not in your workplace for a reason. Mm. But I mean, to your point, I'll just add something, which is sometimes wearing a suit and tie is the wrong outfit and you're giving, yes. a, giving across the wrong message um, as part of doing that. Um, so you're absolutely right. Dressing suitably. And I'll even add to that. In conversation, the correct manner. Are you looking at me in the eye? Obviously, mm. we currently live in a world where touching people is, um, you know, is, is taboo, is prohibited. Um, but there was a time where a firm handshake meant a lot. And you could judge a lot about the way someone would, would engage by the way that they would you know, shake your hand, for example. Yes. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people are very happy that we no longer have to touch each other anyway. But one day that may come back. And as a result, we may need to take that into consideration. I can't tell you how many times I've engaged with people. And based on the fact that they spent their whole conversation staring at the floor or looking anywhere but at my eyes, meant that I was switched off. I was disengaged by the conversation. Um, yes. So, so, so little things like that really play a part, especially when you are in the same vicinity um, as somebody. Um, one last thing I'll say about your nonverbal actions. I mean, it's 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 relevant, but it's how do your customers perceive you? So, how well are you supporting your customers? So, if you want to go into business with me, and I can see very easily that your customers are very dissatisfied with the service you're providing them. Your retention rate is poor. Um, your reviews are ov ov overly negative. Then I take away from that, that you're not the type of person that I want to engage with. So having the right stakeholders is also about presenting the image of the type of person that a good stakeholder would deal with. It's really important to, to, to portray that positive image so people actually want to work with you. Uh, harking back to when we had Asia with us, and it is one of those episodes where we're harking back, mm. she mentioned business to be like a marriage. And it, it truly is because you are committing yourself to an individual, to a corporation, to a business. And everyone wants to ensure that they're not making a commitment that they're going to regret in the future. Everyone realizes that we have finite resources and to a certain extent we are time poor. And thus we do not wish to waste our time. So how can you present yourself as a viable and attractive suitor when everyone else is also getting on one knee proposing? And that leads me quite neatly onto another point, which is it's so key that you've got a strong work ethic. So people help those who help themselves. It's as simple as that. If you're, if you're looking around for somebody to do the work for you, then chances are you're going to be finding people who are going to take advantage of you rather than actually support you. I think it's so important that before you step into a, any kind of relationship with a stakeholder, that you demonstrate that you're actually willing to work hard especially when you're looking for stakeholders to help you with your aspirational vis vision. The last thing that you want as a stakeholder is to see somebody with a blank piece of paper 
um, and handing you a pen. What you want as a stakeholder is to see that these people have got some sort of vision and that you can help push them in the right direction. Um, I painted the picture of a good stakeholder wants to be along for the ride. They don't want to be driving. They don't want their hands on yes. the steering wheel because they've got their own aspirations. They've got their own targets, their own goals. And their aim really is to provide you with support, not provide you with a, a, a second pair of hands to be an employee, for example. So if I am asked to be a stakeholder, if I'm asked to support somebody's vision, I will look at how much work they are willing to do and look how much work they've done. And I'll make my judgment based on that. If somebody comes to me with a blank piece of paper and says, I need your help, I'm more likely going to say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Um, but I would also say, if you are the type of person who turns up with a blank piece of paper and says, sorry, I need your help, also be prepared for people to take advantage of you. Mm. People will say, oh, this person doesn't know what they're doing. Fantastic. Yes. Um, I would like 40% uh, of your business, please, uh, in equity. Yep. And I would also like an upfront uh, compensation of 50K. For Thank you time. very much for my time. Yes, absolutely. And obviously, yes, I'll be charging my consultancy hours at 700 pounds. Um, so yeah, be very careful. Um, we've all potentially been stung by people pretending to be consultants and it can put you off working with other stakeholders in future. But if you know your business and if you know what you want very well, it's very unlikely that people can take advantage of you like that. As you were speaking, it it made me think about my children. I am more than willing and I expect to work harder than my kids. I don't expect to work to the same level as they do. As a stakeholder, I don't want to work harder than you. No. You are not my child. <laughs> so ensure that you are providing evidence of work. Ideally a body of work. But just fruit. I've, I've stepped away from business relationships because I've realized I care about your business more than you do. Unfortunately. So if, if, if you're dealing with stakeholders in that space where, where, where they're actually looking at it like, I'm going to put in more work into this than you are, then don't be surprised if stakeholders will, will take a step back. But I mean, I, I touched upon something very briefly and I want to maybe expand on it. A little bit more now I talked about consultants being willing to take advantage of you I think at this stage I'll also mention we must be aware of smoke and mirrors um, in an age of Instagram highlight reels and everybody having a website and everybody doing a photo shoot with headshots so that they look really important be aware of people who've got a lot of talk and not enough fruit not enough action um, there are many people who might paint themselves as your business's savior. And some of those people are absolutely genuine, but also it's important that you take upon yourself the, the action of doing your due diligence to understand what this person's record is, what references they have, you know, have they done this before? Have they helped other businesses in the same way that they're saying they can help you? And what did those businesses say? You know, can you get a good, um, 
reference or a referral from somebody who actually screams at the top of their lungs at how helpful this individual is? Or does this person actually not give you very much information of previous yeah. successes? Um, and this is across the board, whether it's an Instagram influencer or Instagram marketing consultant, whatever you see online, make sure you can validate their claims. Make sure you've got people that are willing to share testimony of how well these people have helped them. And also make sure that the money that they're charging you actually makes sense. Look at how much yes. profit you're going to get and look at how much money they're charging you. If the profit that you're making is less than the money they're charging, then that makes no financial sense whatsoever. Mm. And I've seen a lot of people fall into that um, hole of spending more money on consultants than they're actually making in revenue. Wow. So just yeah, well, be very co uh, conscious of people who are going to be showing you all of the glitz and glamour and none of the actual work that has actually led to that success. We learnt that the questions we ask can dictate the quality of our lives. And one of your strengths is your questioning technique. Can you share to those who are listening right now questions which they could potentially, the styles of questions that they could potentially pose to achieve commitment from stakeholders and to identify whether they're the right stakeholders? Absolutely. So this is a difficult one because this is a podcast where me and you are talking back and forth. But when it comes to questions, the aim for you is to say as little as possible and give the stakeholder opportunity to share. Now, when we're asking questions, the aim of our questions should be to understand the values and attitudes of our stakeholders what are their values what do they care about what are their core driven driving principles and mm. when when you speak to people you can ask questions that help you identify that and it could be as simple as saying how was your day today that could be the first question that you ask how was your day today and they can share some information and then you drill further let's say for instance this person says yeah i've had a really tough day you know i've been working with various stakeholders or i've been been doing a lot of work and i haven't really been able to to achieve what i wanted to achieve and so i'm a little bit disappointed let's say that was the response i'm thinking off the cuff here maybe your question is something along the lines of well, what would a good day look like for you very open-ended question. question. The response isn't a yes or no. The response, the response has leads them to actually take a step back, potentially a pause, and think. And the reason why that's a valuable question for you is was that gives you the opportunity to get into their head and understand what are their values, what's important to them, what type of activities they will do. Um, as I said, open-ended questions, but also make sure you probe to a negative. Remember when you were younger, or if you have a young child, you probably have to experience this right now. Uh, Mum, uh, why is the sky blue? Oh, the sky is blue because um, it's the uh, 
diffraction of light on the atmosphere. Why? Well, because the atmosphere is a, a concept that brings, um, well, that, that protects, protects us and keeps oxygen in and all the bad things in space out. Why? Well, if it wasn't there, then we would all be dead. Why? I, you know, that's what kids do when they speak to, to adults. They just keep asking why all of the time. Yes. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a fantastic thing. And the fact that we grow up and we lose that is a shame because what we're trying to do really is just to get to the root, get to the cause. You know, the branches and the leaves is what we see on the surface. When we see somebody who's well-dressed and sharply dressed and can speak well, et cetera, et cetera, those are the branches and the leaves. But we're trying to get to the root. Where do you get your money from? How do you get, like, <laughs> what are you doing? Wow. What are you up to? Um, so shot to the head. It's a, so there's no reason why. I'm obviously we can have some some tact in the way we ask our questions, but we need to get back into the idea of probing to a negative. People get used to ask asking and answering surface level questions to the point that when somebody asks you a question like, "If you how, go for it, you've got one. How can you afford that? How can you afford that?" I love that. Um, what is the most important thing for you to achieve in the next year? This is where we're lowering the iceberg. You've probably seen that image. The image of the iceberg, which is quite small above the surface, but below it, yep. it's gigantic. Well, below the surface are the drivers absolutely the like inherent intrinsic motivations and you you know you you don't go in with a preconception of what the uh, outcome's going to be you just keep open minded to ask those questions what is the most important thing for you to achieve in the next year well i want to buy a house well why do you want to buy a house because i want to make sure that i provide security for my family really that's really interesting you know why is that important to you well i guess you know i grew up and i didn't really have that much security for my family so for me uh, owning a home is a, a really important indicator that i can provide security for the people around me and you know how does that you know another question might be how does that impact the way that you operate well i'm very cautious with money because you know i don't really want to be too frivolous in in, in my activities and then uh, uh bring my my security into question or challenge the, the security that i've worked so hard to develop all of that information has just told me that the person, the imaginary person that I just end up speaking to myself about is a very conservative person with money. And the reason yes. why they're conservative is because they they uh, prioritize the security of their family above all. But that also tells me that this some, is somebody who's very family focused. And by highlighting the importance of what I'm doing to other people's family, I may be able to draw that person in and give them something that they can connect with me on. So... It's a very hard thing to, to get across in such a small space of time. But I would say again, ask open-ended questions, probe to a negative and try and find those person, those people's core values, their core drivers, understand what's behind the scenes, not the branches and the leaves, but what is the root? What's going on um, that you can't find out unless you really dig deep? Replay the last two minutes. I, I, I genuinely stress that because with that hypothetical conversation I'd be had with himself 
We identified a potential stakeholder who is risk averse, but family orientated. And thus you know how to pitch yourself, your vision. You know what to definitely highlight. Is this a potential investment? Posing further questions as to, okay, I imagine you've seen investments which are too risky in the past. Can you share some of those? And then tailoring yours to show how it is proven. Show your fruit. Show how this is not a risk to the man's livelihood and his family home. But without those questions, you're shooting in the dark. And I think the aim of an effective stakeholder conversation to try to achieve commitment is to ensure that you are having a really acute, streamlined target. And you are willing to take whatever comes your way in terms of the information that they give you to ensure that you tailor your position and your offering. Um, Afalabi and I used to work at a call centre. We were those annoying people that would call you up and try to ask you to, to complete a survey. And sometimes we would speak to people and they would say, call me back. And we knew that we were creating an appointment that we were likely not going to take ourselves. So what we did was we provided comments about that individual to help whoever would be taking that appointment in the future. And we would include things like angry or in a rush or old lady or um, difficult accent, whatever it might be. And as a result of taking on that information, we would adapt our style, our communication style, in order to make sure that we were engaging with that person the best way possible. So some of this stuff obviously was very surface level, but think about how the information that you've received about this individual would and should change the way that you communicate with them. And I think that leads me on to another interesting or useful point, which is choose the right communication channel, the right communication style for the right stakeholder. We live in a world now where if you call the wrong person, then you have just ruined their day. If their phone rings and they have to pick it up and speak to someone, then that's their day ruined. They're going to tell their partner about you. Can you believe this person actually called me today? Yep. So, the, the point there is that make sure that you're addressing the people and using the right channel. Personally, if I'm doing business, I like to speak on the phone. I like to hear your voice. I like to understand your tone of voice, your frustration levels, so that I can adapt my speech accordingly. But we also live in a world where the majority of our stakeholders are going to be communicating via either text or email. So we have to be capable in a large number of different communication channels so that we can get the most out of our stakeholders that way. Just because we only want to speak f through text doesn't mean that our stakeholder only wants to speak through text. So if our stakeholder would prefer a, uh, a conversation over the phone, then to the best of our ability, we should accommodate that. Prior to this episode, Abby and I were speaking about Truman's Show Syndrome, which I'm just coining now. Because um, I imagine we're going to refer to it in a few more episodes. Yeah. But Truman Show Syndrome is where an individual believes that they are the chief protagonist and the world revolves around them. 
and at the end of the day things will be tightly neatly tied up all loose ends would be sorted because the world has to do that for them they are the star of the show it is possible that some of us have Truman Show Syndrome when we deal with stakeholders because the stakeholder is not willing to communicate at the time or through the medium or format that we want we see them as abnormal or difficult or just challenging or no longer worthy to do business with when they just have a different characteristic to you a, a different schedule a different medium to communicate if if you don't identify the aspects of Truman Show syndrome you could be losing a lot of potentially powerful relationships because you are one step to being narcissistic and egotistical yeah my my advice to anybody who has that issue is get over it and get over it fast hopefully you're now at a point where you're a business which means that your job is service i know people go into business because they say i don't want to have any bosses i don't want to i want to be my own boss well yeah you can be your own boss but now you've replaced one boss with potentially hundreds of bosses they're called customers yes. um, so if you are going to enter into the service space by selling or offering products or services to people who are giving you their hard-earned cash you need to wake up every morning look in the mirror and say sorry mate you're the least important person you'll be speaking to today because yeah. every customer you engage with is more important than you in that context obviously but that is the same as stakeholders the better you are at humbling yourself and serving the better you will be at extracting value from your stakeholders that doesn't mean being a pushover but Stephen Covey talks about it in uh, Seven Habits. You're looking for a win-win solution. You're not looking for a solution where you win and your, your stakeholder loses. So if you're not willing to compromise and to identify what win-win looks like, chances are you're not going to get the most out of your stakeholder. The last point I'll talk about when it comes to communication style, though, is you have got that win-win solution. You've You've done all of the right things. You've understood, you know, what type of stakeholder you're dealing with. You've uh, pushed all of the right buttons. You've messaged in a way that your stakeholder has really um, been uh, attracted to. You've got them to commit. The most important thing that you do then, regardless of what channel you are communicating with them in before, is confirm it in writing. And I would almost go a step further and say confirm it via email. Uh, WhatsApp confirmation, I don't know. It just doesn't have the same, it doesn't mean much to me. Um, you know, you've had a great conversation via text. You've had a great conversation via WhatsApp. You've had a great conversation on the phone. And that stakeholder has said, yes, I'm going to support you. I'm going to provide you with the support that you've requested. The next statement from me is fantastic. What's your email? I just want to provide a summary of this conversation to you. And the reason why you do that is to hold that stakeholder accountable, but also to hold yourself accountable. It is unfortunate that many of the people that I've worked with who have got stakeholder buy-in have come to a point where that stakeholder has said, I didn't say that. I didn't do that. Nope, I didn't say that. It's even gotten to a point where one of uh, the people that I've worked with 
had a venue operator say, yes, you can use my venue free of charge on this day, etc., etc. Now, when she turned up to run her event, her venue was full. Scandalous. And I said, where was this confirmed in writing? I asked, did you confirm this in writing? And she said, yes. And I looked at the conversation in writing and it was very vague and not very clear. And it's so unfortunate that that your hard work, your your good aspirations can be undone because of a very poor commitment statement or a very poor, poor closeout discussion. So once you've done all of that hard work to win over the stakeholder, make sure you have a wash-up discussion where you clearly document your next steps. I can't stress that point enough. I know I'm probably sounding like, a, you know, a mum or... Uh, you know, uh, a nagger, a, a consultant, when when I make that point, but I just can't stress it enough. Get it in writing um, and make sure that not only do you send it across to that stakeholder with other people in copy, but they have acknowledged receipt of it. Yes, we agree. Because the other thing that can happen with some of your stakeholders is you can do all of the hard work, send them the confirmation statement and ask them a question at the end. Is that okay? And get no reply. That means it's not okay. (laughs) Don't think that just because you've sent them the message and they might have read it on, on Instagram or they've seen it on WhatsApp that they agree with everything that's been written. No, you want to make sure that they've responded in kind and said yes, read and understood. So that is an expensive lesson right there and then. If you do that, I promise you, you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. Honestly, that has actually demoralized me. That is... My prayers go out to that individual. I am so sorry. I know how challenging it is to put on an event. To, to turn up on the day and find the event full with attendees which you didn't invite. You don't know what they don't look look like the people that you were expecting. Wow. You did mention something which I think we should almost close on. You've done all of the hard work. You have produced your closing statement. You've emailed it across. You've proofread it on several occasions. You've CC'd each and every stakeholder who's potentially involved in this to ensure that everyone is on the same page. You send it and you don't get a reply. At what point do you take your ball and go home? Good question. Well, I think the first point that I'll make is the the presupposition in that question, which is, should you take your ball and go home? Or should you just be resilient and keep trying? My answer to that question is absolutely. I'm taking my ball and going home if it becomes more work than it's worth. So there is going to be a point where even though you might have sunk in a lot of time, money, dinner into a certain relationship that you're just not getting the outcome that you want. Well, ultimately, it gets to a point where you have to ask yourself, is pursuing this any further going to lead to increased frustration, resentment and pain on my end to the point where it is no longer fruitful? If the answer to that question is yes, then you need to take your ball and go home. You need to stop playing the game and walk away from the situation. Now, some of us have a higher threshold for pain than others. Now, if you're somebody who is damn near 
unflappable or inflappable and you can pursue till the till the cows come home that doesn't mean you should because your business and your brand have value now by overly pursuing a certain prospect you're actually devaluing your business because you are saying to the person subconsciously that i will take any dismissal i will take any um, disrespect that you throw my way and accept it which is a dangerous thing to do you shouldn't paint your business or you shouldn't paint yourself as somebody who's willing to take any punishment so once again even if you're not phased or not uh, frustrated by the fact that you're getting nowhere with a certain stakeholder think about the impact on your brand that taking constant disrespect or constant negative uh, responses from a specific stakeholder uh, would have. Very wise. My love for stakeholder management now is not born from the world of entrepreneurship, but actually because I believe it's a key pillar in leadership. Yes. So leadership is all about influencing people, working with people. Stakeholder management is thus essential. It's, it's your way of ensuring that you are actually touching base with each and every person who is essential and developing long-lasting, fruitful relationships with your key stakeholders. Um, I would want to plug, and it's not really a plug because I didn't create it. If you are interested in the language of leadership, there is a, a, a political speechwriter named Simon Lancaster, which I'll strongly suggest that you Google or watch a few of his YouTube videos. He wrote for the likes of Tony Blair, etc., etc. And what's interesting is that he reveals how he adopts their metaphors. As human beings, we all speak in metaphors. Our language is littered with metaphors, punctuated through metaphors, etc., etc. We cannot help but reach for a metaphor every 10 plus words. In other words, we're liars. We're constantly comparing one thing to another thing simply because the English language isn't really good enough to completely express all the things we want to express. The point being, he has to adopt other people's way of speaking to write speeches for them, which is a very skillful activity because you want to actively listen to potential stakeholders to understand the kind of metaphors they're using. Harking back to Abby's a hypothetical conversation with himself. If that gentleman who is keen on ring fencing his future home or his family starts using emotive language and words such as, well, I really suffered as a child. It, it was it was as if we, we couldn't put two pennies together. Um, but now that I've actually climbed out of that poverty, I'm, I'm not willing to actually delve into that ever again. I want my children to be liberated from that. And my focus is just, you know, having my own fortress. There are certain words that he there is using that if you can acknowledge them and not merely mirror them, because mirroring is just copying, but adopt to them, then you're likely to influence him because he'll think that you're speaking the same language. So I just wanted to, to share that for, for people who are really interested in the almost the psychology and the semantics around this. 
you do have to actively listen you want to be able to speak in a way which they will understand and to do so you have to study rhetoric um yes um i found out that simon lancaster has a ted talk so that is going to be my homework for this weekend looking forward to it it's it's wonderful he he stresses that there was a time when what rhetoric was taught um, freely in state schools prior to maths mathematics was not taught why because it's the language of leadership it's something which people were taught and are still taught now in the likes of Eton because they are being trained to lead and if you're being trained to lead you need to understand that everyone is motivated either by logic the imagination or emotion which of those are you going to hone in on if you're speaking to me, you better come with logic, but that's me. For someone else, it might be different. Do they need to be sold an emotive story? Last thing from me that I'll say is we currently live in a world where good communication is taken for granted. We're looking at shorthand ways of, of getting our points across. Um, we are one-sided in the way that we speak in that we try to argue our position without actually hearing or understanding the positions of other people and you've had this experience yourself where somebody has broken the mold somebody who has sat and spoken to you in a way that has kind of sh shocked you out of your your days and slumber and made you realize that communication is incredibly powerful not just when you see it on TV, but when you're experiencing it firsthand, it's invigorating. It's incredibly, uh, it, it makes you feel quite vulnerable in a sense, because people who are good communicators not only can ask you questions which make you want to share, but they can share information of themselves, which makes you want to share. Now, I say this because I, I do believe that communication is possibly the most powerful skill that you can have as a human being on this planet good communication and it's Great. one skill that's being taken for granted so when it comes to stakeholder management stakeholder engagement it's a communication question are you communicating with the people around you that's all we're talking about in this episode are you communicating with the people around you and if you are and if you do it well if you do it better than your competition you will win Communication is a superpower now because so few people do it well. I'm not going to speak after that. That's a beautiful note to end on. <laughs> okay, well, well, thanks again uh, for joining us for Expensive Lessons. It's a podcast where we, company directors, will share with you the experiences, the lessons, the pains, the joys that we have while trying to build and grow our businesses. Join us next week for another fantastic episode. See you soon. Take care, everyone.